If you have your Bible, turn to Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. So we joke about talking to ourselves as like a condition, right? Like people that talk to themselves are silly. And yet, the Lord is so gracious, so kind, he not only is okay with that, he in fact encourages and commands us to do it to ourselves in the company of God's people to remind our entire self of who he is. The Bible, instead of thinking of speaking to self as silly or a problem, calls it wise humanity. It's a wise human activity to speak to your entire self about the truth, to speak truth to your entire self, that your entire self might become more and more aligned with who he is, who he calls you, and what he calls you to do. Psalm 103 is a beautiful, honest, and hopeful psalm of orientation and praise. I say orientation because if you've heard me preach before, you're familiar with these categories. Good. They're important and helpful. There are three kinds of psalm. With respect to prayer and with respect to the internal life of a human being. Psalms of orientation, disorientation, and reorientation. And I kind of wanted this week to talk about Psalm 73, 
because I like to pick a psalm that corresponds with the day of the month that it is, plus 30, plus 30, plus 30. So, you get, so if you go through the psalms in the course of a month, um, you'll read five psalms every day, and you can read Psalm 119 on the 31st day of the month so that you don't get bogged down in it because it's super long. It's great, but it's super long. Following all that, so today is June 13th. So an old monkish way of reading the psalms is to read Psalm 13, which is a psalm of disorientation. Then Psalm 43, which is a lovely psalm of reorientation and quiet. Psalm 73, which is about your plan B life. If I had their money, I'd be happy. How many times have you thought that? You think that's kind of a new thought. Hopefully you don't think that, because it's absurdly not true. Bill and Melinda Gates, anyone? But, and we're sad for them, right? But Psalm 73 is about that, but I'm not preaching Psalm 73 because I've heard second and third and fourth and fifth hand, that you guys are tired of being reminded about the grief of the last 15 months. So we're going to talk about praise. But all three kinds of psalm are important because all three kinds of psalm are honest with God about what life is actually like. This is a psalm of orientation. This is the kind of psalm we utilize when we're honest that God does have anger He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. Verse 9, there's a lot to say about that theologically. So Psalm 103 is not dishonest about what life is actually about, but it is still oriented. David is capable of orienting towards God and leading others in that, in this moment. And that is part of the human condition. It's part of the option for Christians to praise his holy name. Regardless. We're not dishonest about that. We're not trite. We avoid triteness at all costs, people. See the Psalms. And then we still praise his holy name. Walter Brueggemann, who uh, I'm most indebted to for my understanding of the Psalms, um, no offense, Dr. Collins, my professor in seminary, who's great. Eugene Peterson I love, but Brueggemann's categories are the ones that I adopted, and he learned them from, uh, I think, Klaus Westermann and others. Brueggemann, in his book, From Whom No Secrets Are Hid, gives us five categories. And, and listen, friends, I, if, you know, some of you are taking notes. You're going to write these down. I have them in my notes if you can't write them as quickly as I say them, and I'll try and say them slowly, which is the most consistent criticism of my preaching. I realize I'm talking fast, ironically, right now. Brueggemann gives us five reasons that praise is beautiful and good. One, it engages our imagination. Don't you love as far as the east is from the west? The earth spins on an axis. Where are those axes? North and south. David didn't know that, but God did. And in David's poetic imagination, inspired by the Holy Spirit, as far as the east is of the west. Praise expands our imagination. Praise reminds us that there is an alternate world. This is why we're Christians. Because we long for a world of healing and forgiveness and something that uh, is beyond the world that we see and understand intellectually. We know there's more, first of all. Second of all, we long for that more to (laughs) involve mercy and justice. 
praise reminds us that Adonai is the key player in the universe. Not us, not whatever political figure or Hollywood, I don't know who you think is in charge of the world. But praise reminds us that it's Adonai. Adonai is what respectful followers of God say instead of the personal name of God. So the personal name of God in the old Hebrew originally didn't have vowels. Then when it had vowels, out of respect, they gave different vowels to the name of God. In Latin, this is where we get Jehovah, which is a transliteration of those two names come together. All that to be said. Praise reminds us who the key, the key player in the universe is. It's not us. It's not whoever's the most powerful person or persons in the world. It's God. Praise remembers that we get to give ourselves over to God, not because uh, we disappear, but because we will not become our true selves without him. And then praise gives us a delightful self-forgetfulness. Now I'm kind of engaging a book, a little short book by Tim Keller called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness that I actually don't love, but it's a good term. Praise engages our imagination. It reminds us of the alternate world, what Jesus called the kingdom that exists and is good and is actually just and merciful and forgiving, unlike the world. Praise reminds us that the Lord is the key player in the universe. Not us, thank God. And not whoever you think is really powerful in the world. Praise reminds us that ourself can be given over to God and given back cleansed, renewed, freed, forgiven, found, loved, comforted, assured. Praise gives us self-forgetfulness. So, when else are you going to praise this week? I'm glad you're here. Corporate worship. Those of you that are watching the service, I am not kidding. It's incredible. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the Apostle Paul. It is the Holy Spirit that you are watching me <laughs> on your phone, iPad, or TV. And I'm so glad. And you need to bless the Lord on Tuesday also. You need to remember who he is on Tuesday. You need to remind your entire self about who he is and what he does. This is often one of my application points because it's a good one, I think. When is it on your calendar and how? I'm not using the term quiet time because I think it's a terrible term. It's limiting. It's shallow. It assumes all sorts of things that I'm not going to get into because I've only gotten one point of my sermon, but perhaps you're a journaler. When are you going to journal this week? About the Lord and what he's teaching you and doing in your life. When are you going to pause? And I looked at my journal uh, yesterday and was embarrassed about how long it's been because it helps me to reflect on who the Lord is to journal. Some of you are much bigger journalers. Some of you, that's not the way. That's fine. Whatever the way is. Maybe it's coming up here and sitting in the hayloft. Don't come when it's 95 because the hayloft is not air-conditioned. That's our older sanctuary, a converted barn, a lovely place to sit for a few minutes with the Lord. Bless the Lord and remember his benefits, David writes in verse 2. He forgives and he heals. 
He redeems. He crowns. The verbs of Psalm 103 tell you who God is. We're going to have a statement about his character in a minute that is very consistent throughout the scriptures. But we can learn who he is and what he does and therefore what the gospel does from simply the verbs. Forgives. Heals. Redeems. Crowns you with steadfast love. That's a covenanting love. That is a strong love. It is not a passing affection. Satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. In the Coverdale translation of the Psalms, I'm indebted to a good friend for uh, telling me about, he calls it with lusty youth like the eagles. That is who God is. That is what God does in your life. What lovely character, what lovely character is in God, that this is who he is and what he does. He crowns you. I love the way that the scriptures talk about who we are in Christ. A lot of times, especially within um, certain kinds of Christianity, we love to refer to ourselves as sinners. And yep, you are a sinner. But God doesn't call you that very much. God calls you a vice regent. If you hear nothing else, perhaps, in the sermon. Someone says, did you go to church today? Yeah. What was it about? I'm a vice regent of Adonai. And then watch them decide whether or not they're ever going to hang out with you again. Right? But that's why he uses the word crown. Friends, we're brought into life with the true king who not only rescues and heals and forgives, but gives us good purpose and work in the world. Heals is both a metaphor and it's eschatological. God will heal. I wonder from what? Because I wonder if in the new heavens and the new earth, one of the ways that we'll remember our life here and the incredible importance of it, far more important than most of us think, especially with some of our escapist versions of Christianity that we grew up in that are so unbiblical, I wonder if we'll still have a lot of our scars, because first of all, Jesus did after he rose from the dead, and second of all, they'll remind us of how the Lord redemptively acted in our lives. And friends, don't miss this. The Lord who satisfies you with good. That's who he is and what he does. We receive it by faith. We learn to trust it with our mind and with our emotions and with our very being. The series that I'm concluding today is called Kingdom Practices. Kingdom Practices merit you nothing before God. That's all the work of Christ. But they're available to you, and in them is the felt and realized promises of God. They're yours in Christ. They can't be taken away from you by yourself or the devil or the world. And yet, enjoying them is the opportunity most of us give up and choose diversion instead. Listen again to verses 2 through 5. 
Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. What benefits? Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the lusty eagles. Not in the ESV, that's the Coverdale translation, but I wanted to get your attention. Bless the Lord, remember his benefits and ways in the world. How is God in the world? The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. And you're like, when? When he returns, and in the meantime, it's on us. But how else is he in the world? He made, his ways known, he made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the people of Israel. This is a reference to the Exodus. The most important event as a type for what Jesus did for you and me. And because that's who God is in space and time and history, about 3,600 years ago, he rescued a people, called them to himself so that they would bless the world and teach the world about him. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. Sometimes we look at the nation of Israel and understand their role in redemptive history and we wonder why the Lord didn't choose more nations, perhaps. Well, among other answers to that question is, you don't really want to be chosen by him because in our sinfulness we break covenant and he allows us to be uh, judged by other nations. And I say we because Christians are now engrafted into that and in fact are that now. doesn't mean the nation of Israel doesn't matter Okay, Romans 10 and 11 remind us that that's mysterious. But Jesus says now Christians are the spiritual Israel. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. For as high as the heavens are above the earth... How high is another realm from here? The word is interchangeable, skies and separate realm. How high? Right? So great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Where is the east pole? Where is the west pole? Don't get into latitude and longitude. This is a 3,000-year-old poem poetic language, which is important. Scientific language is important also. Physics, right? Am I right, Nathan? Yeah. But so is poetic language for speaking, especially for speaking to our soul about the things of God. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. God doesn't want you to feel afraid. But you are naturally in awe of him if he is who he says he is. That's my 30-second encouragement about fear. Because many of us struggle with fear, both legitimate and disproportionate. God doesn't want us to feel afraid or startled. 
But we are naturally in awe of him if he forgives and shows compassion the way that he does. Friends, this is doxological language. This is language of praise. This is confessional language. This is telling us who God is, confessing to our own soul who he is. This is theological language. This tells us about his character, though we have to wrestle with the poeticness of it. Wait a minute, did it just say I'm dust? That's our poetic language. So it's reminding us of our transience that we might praise his eternity. This is therapeutic language. Bless the Lord, O my soul. It's group therapy also. We're doing it among the saints, all at the same time. And do you see the connections between the whole Bible? In Exodus chapter 34, after the nation of Israel had screwed up, I'll just say it that way, after the first time the Ten Commandments were given, the Lord said to Moses, this is from chapter 34, cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. He was supposed to. Be ready by the morning, and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai, and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you, and let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him, and took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, who keeps steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. So that that doesn't scare you, God is putting into perspective his grace and call on their life as compared with natural humankind. What do we do? Harm ourselves, naturally. How long does that last? About three or four generations. Unless we receive his grace, which goes for thousands. That's Exodus 34. David is reflecting on it in Psalm 103. And then Peter... Whoops, that's the wrong scripture. Don't put it up. My fault, not Lydus. Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12, reflects on the Exodus. Joseph, take that off. Sorry. It's my fault. I gave Lida the wrong scripture. I appreciate that she trusted me with that. I bet she was wondering, is that the right scripture? No, it's not. That's okay. Peter, reflecting on the Exodus as an explanation of what Jesus did and reflecting on the people of God as his vice regents, quotes this again. Do you see the interconnect? You can't see it because I put the wrong scripture up, but do you understand the interconnectedness, therefore the reliability of the text, which is also what Psalm 103 is teaching us in verses 15 through 19. The Lord is not who we expect, friends. He's not. Did you ever watch Clash of the Titans? Not the, not the new one. The old one. That's who we expect. We expect capricious, powerful, infighting humans, probably wearing robes. That's not who God is. We are unreliable. He 
is reliable. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. This is counterintuitive, especially if we take it out of context, because we don't understand grace naturally. The reason we're commanded to keep the covenant is for our good, not because it's conditional. It's not conditional, except on his con- the conditions that he keep. It's given to us as grace and guide and remember and, and a reminder of his holiness. And I have so much many more things to say. I was going to read you a confession from Eugene Peterson based on Psalm 103, which reminds us that confession is good for the soul. I was going to read you from The Wonderful Works of God by Herman Bovink, which is an exceptionally good book. It's expensive, but good. I learned a whole bunch of stuff about angels and animals this morning. Animals have souls. Angels don't. Angels don't have bodies, though they take on bodies to do their work. Anyway. But we're out of time. So I'm not going to read these lovely quotes. Though I might in the second service. Friends, we bless the Lord. We speak to our soul about the Lord. We remember his benefits and ways and how he is in the world and who he is in the world. And we keep his covenant. Why? Because it's a covenant of life in a world of death. Because he's that gracious and loving and kind to us. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for your saints who have persevered to worship in ways they do not prefer, though they like to be able to mute me and leave their pajamas on. Father, we ask that you fill us with your Holy Spirit. We ask that you bless our souls as we speak to our souls about you. We would remember and understand and be grasped by your redemption and healing and forgiveness and mercy and steadfast love. We praise and thank you for satisfying us in ways that no one and nothing else can. Amen.